Would you turn with me, please, to Psalm 11, please? Psalm number 11. Our title this evening is If the Foundations Be Destroyed, What Can the Righteous Do? If the Foundations Be Destroyed, What Can the Righteous Do? I was at the hospital this afternoon with Pastor McConnell. He doesn't talk about how ill he feels. In fact, it's the opposite. He talks about the Lord and what God's doing. He asked about the baptism service last Sunday evening. How many went through the waters? Is anybody saved? And we said yes and yes and yes. And, and then he says, what are you on tonight? What are you on tonight? I says, I'm on if the foundations be destroyed. What can the righteous do? And he was like Jacob of old. He straightened himself up in the bed and he pulled himself up. And he went, hallelujah, what a great text. He says, tell me all about it. And he wanted to know about the word tonight. Let's read just one verse and then we will refer to the psalm in a moment. And it's verse number three. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We'll read it again. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let us pray. Father, we pray this evening that you would now take what is in my heart and may it be in tune with yours. And may your spirit flow and anoint me to your people this evening, Lord, at the preaching of your word. May your word come alive in us. Remove the scales from many eyes. We pray that your spirit would even convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment that is to come. Father, settle our hearts and help us to receive the engrafted word of God which is able to save the soul. And give us listening ears again that we might hear from heaven. Thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your precious blood, Lord. Thank you for your atoning death. Thank you, Lord, that you've saved us. You've paid our debt. Lord, we love you and we worship you. We ask, O oh God, that you would deal with us severally as you will and you want. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. The background to Psalm 11 is simple, and it's this that David is writing the psalm, but He's looking at a time of danger. He's looking at a time, and actually our verse is the people who are singing or asking, as it were, unto David, what will we do? And David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this. And they're actually asking, if the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? 
If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the idea of them asking this, so David pens it in the psalm to be sung. The idea is that these people are not saying, well, what can we do and that's it. They're actually emphasizing to David there's nothing else can be done. Things have went too far and so we have lost so much. Will we ever recover it? Will we ever be able to help? Should we run to the hills? That's what they're saying. Should we hide? Should we run away? So if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There's only one of you, David. You're the anointed servant of God, but there's only one of you, and there's some of us. But what can the righteous do? You see, Saul was on the throne. Saul was God's, wasn't God's man. He was man's choice. David was God's man. And Saul was on the throne, and Saul had made many a mistake like all of us, but rather he actually went into rebellion. And he disobeyed God so much that the kingdom of Israel started to collapse, that the kingdom of Israel started to disintegrate. Right from the government levels of Saul in the palace, everything was falling down around them. And David was the outcast. And those who were standing for the truth of the word of God, those who believed in God's scriptures, well, they were cast aside. In 1 Samuel 15, if you want to turn briefly to it with me, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here we find that there's a crux of time comes and Saul has his kingdom prophesied that it would be taken away from him because of his sin and because of his decisions over God's word. Notice his sin and his decisions against God's word and because of his own rebellion against God. And if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read through this, and we haven't time to read it, but we're told that Samuel has says to Saul, the word of the Lord, that he was to go and he was to slay, the, the, uh, slay Amalek and all of their men, and none were to be left, even their cattle. Agag the king was also to be slain. And Saul done so much, but said it's enough, and stopped. And decided to take the the, the decisions into his own mind and thought and heart and start to put them out and say, we're not going this far. We're only going to go so far. We're going to do a little bit what God says, but we're not going to go all the way because it wouldn't go right with the people round about us. And the foundations of Israel were starting to crumble. And so Samuel comes and Saul tries to excuse himself for not carrying out the word of the Lord. Saul starts to excuse himself for not carrying out not only the word of the Lord, but being in rebellion against the word of God and what God's word says. As if Saul, this man from Benjamin, he knew it all and he knew better than what God's word said. For he spared Agag, and he spared 
some of Amalek, and he spared some of their cattle and their oxen and so on. And he thought, I'm going to take this portion and I'm going to show my authority over God's authority. We'll go so far and no further. So Samuel comes. And let your eye run down the chapter, please. Uh, Right down to the verse 23. Pardon me, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And what he's saying is it's no good saying, sure, the Lord will understand and we'll do a certain amount in government. We'll do a certain amount and we'll say, look how good we are, God. Aren't you blessed to have us? But here's my law for Israel. Here's my law for the nation. Here's my law for the land. And here's what Samuel says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Notice, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Am I speaking to a stubborn man tonight? A stubborn woman tonight? In the sense where God has spoken many times and you've been stubborn, maybe even rebellious. And God sees it as witchcraft. And God sees the stubbornness as idolatry. Because I hast, notice, because I hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now Samuel's saying this to Saul on the throne, and he's saying, God has rejected you because you have rejected God. And as we look at the foundations being broken up in Israel, and we look at some of the things that are happening today, surely we can see that it isn't enough even if you're a so-called Christian politician, to say we'll do so much for God's word and forget the rest. In fact, you're going in rebellion when you know God's word and you pass judgments and laws on babies to be murdered at home in the womb. They're trying now, almost putting it through that Babies can be murdered at home. Home kits they've brought out in Ulster. And they know the Word of God. They know the Word of God probably better than many of us in here. And yet they're still carrying on. That's enough to appease the Christian populist vote. But here we will give you your babies for the house and the womb. Shame on you. God will remove you. God will deal with you. God has spoken his word to you. Here we find Saul was in rebellion, stubborn. He's as a witch before God and full of idolatry. And God said, your time is up and you will not be on this throne. Samuel the prophet, go tell that man that I have found a man after mine own heart. That I've found a man, David was anointed of the Lord. 
to sit on the throne of Israel. Listen to Samuel's reply. Listen to this miserable creature's heart. And Saul said, pardon me, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You know why they're passing these laws? Because they're fearing the people and they're not fearing the Lord. They're fearing the populace and they're not fearing the word of God. They're fearing everyone except the Lord. And these people are making these vile commandments before us and they are enabling them to happen. They have forced and they have pushed gay marriage. They have passed it against the word of God. Now abortion. And throughout our land, they are tearing down the foundations of the building of the family unit. Tearing down the foundations of marriage between a man and a woman. And for the procreation of children. Tearing it down and they're breaking it down. Do you know what it is? It's communism at its best. Breaking up the family unit. Now they're tearing down the sanctity of life. Next they're going to bring in, when someone is old, you can go and take them to be put down like a dog. After that you'll find, you watch this space. And then after that you will find that someone who is ill Someone who is disabled, that life maybe in a wheelchair or that life of someone who's maybe even deaf or dumb or blind or cannot walk, they will be able to take them and get rid of them. Know what it is? Nationalist socialism like the Nazis did. It's communism at its best. They are pulling down. They are trying to destroy the foundations of our nation. Israel is in a terrible state. Britain, United Kingdom government is a cesspit full of vipers. It is a cesspit full of snakes. And these people are passing laws hand over fist in order that they might please the populist vote. Saul tried to repent, but his heart was not right before God. Saul says in verse 25, Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. The Lord hath rejected you from being king. God is giving, has given a space to repent. And repentance has not been found. But rather, they now employ and put in their membership and leadership those who would have babies murdered in the womb up to birth.
if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you look at the psalm this evening, Psalm 11, please. Psalm 11. Verse 1, it says, In thee, or in the Lord, put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? That's what the people are saying. Should we flee like a bird to the mountain? What do you say, David? What can we do? There's too many of them and not enough of us. What can we do? Do you know what the church has done? They started fleeing to the mountain. They've took the wings of the morning to flee to the uttermost parts of the earth. They're making their bed in hell and lying in it. And they're saying nothing and doing nothing about the things that are happening and being passed in our lands. Oh, COVID, 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 COVID. And everyone is blinded by it. And then behind the scenes, the devil's at work in it. And the people love to have it so. Notice here, David says, I, in the Lord, I put I my trust. How shall he say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For oh, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. And that's what's happening in the land today. They've got their arrows ready. And as soon as one of you sticks your head up in the name of Jesus, they're ready to fire their arrows at you. As soon as you mention the name of the Lord, the glorious gospel of Christ, as soon as you talk about the saving grace found in Christ and the blood of the Lamb, they fire their arrows at you. Get your head down. And the church are fleeing to the mountain. Oh, they're getting, they're, they're getting a wee bit roused up there. We better get out of here. We better shut our mouths. We're rocking the boat too much. Brothers and sisters, I would that the boat was turned over on them. And so they privily shoot at the upright in heart. So evil has become good and good has become evil. Then they're saying, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's what we can do. Here's our fixture. David replies, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked. And him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This, is, this shall be the portion of their cup. In other words, nobody's saying, listen folks, don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid, Christian. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying the Lord is still on the throne. The Lord is sovereign over all and still in control. That's what he's saying to us this evening. Oh, when darkness seems to come all round about us, there's a great light. He's called the light of the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ still shines bright in glory. Here, brothers and sisters, we are told that the Lord still watches, that the Lord still sees, that the Lord still hears, and the Lord will deal with and move. 
Then we go on. Upon the wicked he shall rain snare, fires, brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be their por- the portion of their cup. Notice, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. When the world hates you for being righteous, when the world hates you for loving the word of God, when the world hates you for being a believer, when the world hates you for loving the Lord Jesus Christ, when the world hates you for speaking about the cross work, the finished work on the cross of Christ, when the world hates you, when you say there's the blood of the Lamb has never lost its power. Do you know what the Bible tells me? For the the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. He loves to hear you speak it. He loves you to take your stand. He loves your righteousness. He loves your voice. He loves to hear you. He loves to hear you speak about him, his blood, his son, and his glory. He loves it. And he is for you. Brothers and sisters, let's take note this evening. We are not in the minority. As old John Knox says, one man with God is in the majority. I've read the back of the book, and we're on the winning team. I've read the back of the book, and we're on the winning team. When I was in secondary school, we had a teacher called Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson was as baldy as a coot, and he got baldy on day. And I remember he gave us our homework, our maths homework. He gave us our maths homework home with us. And so then they happened to just take the, the book of the, the maths and there was all the questions, you know, every, everything we had to do. And my mind was spinning with it. And I just happened to look up the back. And lo, lo and behold, there's all the answers. <laughs> Who remembers the books with the answers in the back? So I just, well, the homework's easy tonight. There's the question, hold on, there's the answer. There's the question to the back of the book, there's the answer. There's the question, there's the answer. And so I get up and into school and I leave my, my, my book on the, on the teacher's desk and everyone else and as he's marking, gives us something else to do and I suddenly hear, Davidson, Mr. Anderson, come up here a second. And up I get to his desk and he says, yes, Mr. Anderson. He says, what's that? It's just my homework, Mr. Anderson. He says, no, but what is this? I says, that's my homework. He says, look, what's that and what's that? I says, there's the question, there's the answer, Mr. Anderson. He says, son, do you think I, we don't know that the answer's in the back of the book? I thought they didn't know. <laughs> he says, it's not even the answer we're looking. I says, well, what is it you're looking, Mr. Anderson? And he says, we're looking for the working out of it. We're looking for the working out of it. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, in this dark day and age, it's going to get darker. It's going to get darker. I was talking to a brother here tonight who was under the iron curtain, behind the iron curtain. And you know what he says to me tonight in this place? He's sitting here tonight. You know what he said to me? He says, the people don't realize communism's here. I says, I'm telling them it all the time. I've read the back of the book we're on the winning team. We're on the glory side. But between now and then, we have to do the working out of it. It's the working out of it. Notice here, the foundations. In verse three, if the foundations be destroyed, what can 
the righteous do. See the word destroyed there? It gives the idea of something being overthrown, like you'd overthrow a table and ruin maybe a dinner on a table. Or something, you pull it and it all falls down like a wall. But it also gives the idea to pick or to pluck until it falls. I'll take a bit here, like a thread in your in a garment, and you, you pull it out and there's a hole. There's another one. I pull it out here and there's another hole. And the next thing, there's so many of them until you've just got a whole garment in a mess. And in our nation, this is what they've done. They have picked and they have plucked a little bit at a time. A little bit here and a little bit there. One step here, then wait, and then another step there. You give them a little bit, then they get another bit. You give them an inch and then they take a mile. And next thing it is, you're not allowed out over your door. You're not allowed to open your church or your business. You're not allowed to travel unless we vaccinate you. You're not allowed to go hither and thither. You're not allowed freedom of movement. You're not allowed freedom of speech anymore or we'll bring you to court. Everyone and anyone and any man and his dog can talk about you and your lovely Lord and your Savior. And they can make crude and rude and blasphemous remarks about Christ. But you and I, we're unallowed to open our mouths for we have lost the freedom of speech, even the preaching of the gospel. And the, the foundations and the fabric of our nation is being plucked here and plucked there and all of a sudden it's starting to fall. In fact, look at it. If you looked at our nation now, step back in time 20, 30 years, I know Ulster was in a terrible place and I know there were people being murdered and slain and bombed and gunned and all of this stuff. But I can tell you one thing Ulster had. Ulster had the blood in the book. And not even those who claim to be Protestant don't even know what it means. Know nothing of it. Brothers and sisters, the foundational fabric of our nation is being taken bit by bit, here a little, there a little, until now. We're looking at one another and saying, if the foundations are destroyed, there's not enough of us. What can the righteous do? I want to let you know, it's not about how many in numbers there are of us. It's about who we serve and who we love and who we know, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go with, if you would go with me, to one of the most foundational verses in the Bible, if not the most foundational verse in the Bible, and it's found in the book of Genesis, please. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Here it is, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The first line of the first verse of the first chapter of the first book. Here we have it doesn't start with, and I love this about the Word of God, because it's Spirit-inspired, because God Himself is the author. I love it because it goes, 
in the beginning God, if this was a man writing this, he'd say, one day there was a lovely picket fence. And this happened and that happened, or once upon a time, or I want to tell you a story. The Word of God and the Spirit comes and says, in the beginning, God! In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It has been pointed out that if a person really believes Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, then he or she will not find it hard or difficult to believe the rest of the book of Genesis or even the Bible. If a person really believes that God created the heavens and the earth, it shouldn't be hard then to believe that the rest of the Bible is perfectly true. It's perfectly true. That is why men have tried to take God out of the Word of God. They've tried to take God out of creation. And they have started their teachings from almost 200 years ago in Darwinism and evolution. We have what's known as the Big Bang Theory, the books of the Hawkins and the Dawkins and and the likings of them. The God delusion spawned people to read it over and over again, thinking there is no God. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Psalm 14 and verse 1, it says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I was in an airplane a lot of years ago, coming back from Tenerife, I think it was, or Spain. And the way the seats were was, Alison got the, and the two girls and the three of this. Then there's the I and I always got this one. And there's this seat was empty and there's a, a young man sitting in that seat and we had just taken off and he starts reading the book, The God Delusion. So I'm looking at him. What am I going to do with this man here? So I pulled out a book called Pastors Not Celebrities. And I'm reading it it's from America, a Baptist pastor. I'm sitting it down to see if he'll, in the seat between us where no one's sitting, just to see if he will have a conversation with me. And I sat it down, nothing. So I picked it up and I sort of sat it down again, and nothing. And so then the pilot says to prepare for landing. And I thought I have to say something here. Excuse me, I says, I just noticed the book you're reading, The God Delusion. Yes, yes. I says, what do you think of it? Brilliant book. It's a brilliant book. I've read it three or four times already. I says, do you believe it? Oh, absolutely. It's a fantastic book. I says, have you ever read the Word of God? No, 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 no. I says, then how do you know if you're not challenged on it? And so we started talking about it, and we're coming into land, and it just dawned on me, I had the perfect book in my suitcase. But it was in the hold. And I said, I have a book. It's called A Case for Christ. A Case for Christ. And the man who wrote this book was a journalist. He was an atheist. And he went out of his way to study the Bible to prove Christ either neither, never existed or was a fallacy. And he ended up getting saved. 
Lee Strobel, his name was. Would you read it? He says, well, where is it? I says, well, it's in my suitcase. And he says, if you have it to me before I get my case and go, I promise you I read it. I says, you're wrong. So at the carousel, where the cases come out, you know where they come away out, and you stand away here and you see your case coming. I was away around like this, looking up there. <laughs> and his case came out first. Ah, oh, no. And I seen him getting it off and checking it. And he went to walk away. And there was my case came. And I opened the zip. And I had a pen and I grabbed it and I run, and I run along and the inside wrote Psalm 14, verse 1. The foot of the in his heart, there is no God. And he's running, walking down the airport and I says, there's the book. Will you read it? He says, I will. I said, why well, being I'm praying for you that you find that the book that you're reading, the God delusion, shows you the, the delusion it is. And the way that young man went with Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ. Brothers and sisters, you see, in this whole big bang evolution type and theory, this big lie, not big bang, even the papacy are coming out and they're making statements and they're saying that the evolution theory may well have been of God. You see, it's called the New World Order. It's called a one-world government. It's called a whore that rides the beast. Bringing every religion and faith around them. Now take note of this. This is what the Lord says. 1 Corinthians 1 and 19. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God will bring to naught. God will bring to nothing the intelligency of this world. The intelligency of even big pharma. What the word witchcraft is, by the way, pharmacia for pharmacy. And this world is now drunk on pharmacia, on drugs, stupefied and nullified on big pharma. Old Jeremiah Burroughs once said, he who spits against heaven finds it will fall back in his own face. And these men and women in Westminster and Stormont, when we see terrorists in our government freely, freely making laws over you and me, murderers, Bombers. And everyone is, we'll all get together because that's the populace. God will remove the wicked heart. Notice here. He says, he who spits against heaven finds it will 
always fall back into his own face. Look. They lift up the chin, puff out the chest, stick up the fist against God and his word. And God said to Saul, because thou hast rejected me, I have rejected you. I pray there's none in here tonight who's unsaved without Christ. In Jeremiah 51 and verse 17, listen to what it says. Every man is brutish by his knowledge. Every man has a puffed up mind to some degree, but every man is brutish by his knowledge. And the word brutish here is a word bara. Here's what it means to kindle, to consume, to eat away, or to burn up. In other words, it kindles, knowledge kindles unbelief. Knowledge kindles the atheist ideology. Knowledge kindles the fists against God. Knowledge or the brutishness of men burns in their breast against God. Burns in them. And they hate him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This one verse, this is what I've written. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This one verse refutes atheism because the universe was created by God. It refutes pantheism for God has transcended to that which he created. In other words, he's above all creation. This one verse refutes polytheism. For one God created all things, not many gods. One God. And this verse refutes materialism. For matter had a beginning. Ask them, where did this all come from? Matter came together, compressed until there was a big bang and everything came out of that. Where did the matter come from? Materialism in the matter, it refutes it because matter had a beginning when God created all things. It refutes dualism because God was alone when he created it. It refutes humanism because God, not man, is the ultimate reality. You see, here, here's the thing. Rene Descartes was a, a, a French um, philosopher, and he went so far into his own thinking, started thinking about this, and this had a reason, and that had a reason, until the place where nothing was real. He could nearly look at you and believe you weren't standing in front of him. That's how dumb his heart became. And Rani Descartes kept going on about it. I've done two weeks on it. It's somewhere online. And Rani Descartes then got to the place where he says, there's no God, nothing's real. And everything, he says, the human is the God of all things. And one day, he went so far in his mind that a demon spirit came and showed him, you're mine. I trust there's not a man's heart that a demon spirit has hold of you. 
God showed him the reality. And many discards had the claim that human beings are not the ultimate reality. You know what he would have said? I am. You know the title of God? I am that I am of Senti. His words were, I am, therefore I am. That's what he called himself. So I only know that I am. I only know me. I only have my own mind. I only know the reality of my life. And this was his thinking. He went so deep and it took on the name, the august name of Yahweh, the I am that I am. He got to the place where a demon's spirit had hold of him. He started to realize, hold on. Human beings are not the ultimate reality, as he called it. This verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It refutes evolutionism because God created all things. So, boy, look at the time already. So, in Psalm 11 and in verse 3, if the, fountain, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's what I've written. Remove God from creation, and we have no foundation. Remove God, and we have no Bible. Remove the Bible from our nation, and we know not God. Remove God from our knowledge, and we become brutish. And we kindle a fire in our hearts for other things. And they eat away at us, consume us, and we are lost and without salvation and without the Savior. We have no foundation, but all we have is hell. Is hell. The United Kingdom is going to hell in a handcart at the minute. The state of it, the violence in it, the wickedness in it, the mindsets of it. The beginning is not the earth being formed, but rather in eternity, the one who forms the earth. He is our beginning. In the book of Isaiah, I haven't time to go through this because there's too much of it. Let me just show you a point or two. We'll round this up. Isaiah 28, please, in verse 16. Listen to what the Lord says for us. Listen to what he said for, our, for the nation. Listen to what he said for Israel. Listen to what he's saying here. Here is our building block. Here is our foundation. Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. The word tried here is the word bochan. It means tested and tried and approved for use. Stable and suitable as a foundation. That's what the Lord's saying. That's the tried. A tried stone. A precious cornerstone. The word precious is yachar. It means a costly, excellent, prized, splendid, rare, and highly valued stone. And then he says, a sure foundation. The word sure is the word yasad. Something fixed, ordained, and established. P. 
Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. And he personifies it to Christ. Behold, I lay on Zion. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay on Zion, a chief cornerstone, a lack precious, and he that believeth on him. He personifies it. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Listen, Christ was tried, was proven to be the obedient son of God. Christ is precious because the cornerstone provides the lines and the patterns for the rest of the construction. If we don't have Christ, listen, even in the church, told you this morning, if you weren't here this morning, I'll tell you again. There's someone in here sent me a message. I can't remember it was last night or the night before. And they knew someone who was going to visit someone over in Cardiff. And they were brought into a church. And being brought into the church, this preacher didn't turn up. And so the man is sitting there and uh, the, the person that brought him says, this one can testify. So they get him up to testify and there on the, on the pulpit it says, three things, be punctual, be on time. And know what the third one says? Never preach the blood. Never preach the blood. That is the foundation of our faith. If there's no blood, there's no salvation. If there's no blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. If there's no blood, there's no redemption. There's no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for you or my sin. This church will always, as long as I'm alive, preach the blood. Preach the blood. The cornerstone of the blood in many pulpits is being picked at and plucked and it's got longer thread like the garment and a hole has come into it and I don't touch it anymore. And don't you dare tell my congregation they must be born again. And don't dare tell them they're in their sin without Christ. And don't dare mention a lake of fire unto them. Brothers and sisters, this is the foundation. Christ and his finished work on the cross is the foundation of this house. They're picking at it, and they're picking at it, and many are falling. You see the lines in the pattern, the cornerstone lined them up. He's the cornerstone that lines us up to go in the right direction. He's a sure foundation, meaning we can build everything on him. He's a sure foundation, meaning we can trust him, trust his perfect humanity and his absolute full Lord deity. Trusting in his impeccable life from his mother's womb to Joseph's new tomb. Trusting in his miraculous ministry and his complete stability. Trusting in his sinless life and relying on his atoning death. Trusting in his finished work on Calvary's tree and trusting in his precious blood he shed for you and me. Trusting in his glorious resurrection from the dead. And we're trusting in his high priestly ministry. We're trusting that we have a man in the glory who's praying for us. And we are trusting, fully trusting that he's coming again soon. See this word fool? The fool have said in his heart. It's the word seko. 
Sethko, and it means to laugh and to mock. It gives the idea of children playing, laughing, and mocking each other in a playground. It gives the idea of a man or a woman in their own heart laughing and mocking. There's no God. And they'll tell your children it in school. And they'll tell your children it from nursery. And they'll program your children's minds with all the things that we say we stand against, but yet you let them watch their cartoons with it in it. Programming your children. Programming them that the, that which is unnatural in the eyes of God is natural and should be that way. Foundations are being pulled down. I must finish. Nobody else even finished. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10, it says these words, And thy Lord, in the beginning, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. If you go with me for our last reading to Psalm 19. Let me get a quick drink while you're looking that up. I have to laugh at some of these politicians. Don't bring your faith to work with you. That's like saying cut your head off and leave it at home. How are you meant to do that? Because you see, to many, it's just a religion at an altar you leave there on a Sunday. That's all it is, and that's all they know. Christ then used the hope of glory. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day on the day utter speech, night on their night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language that her voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and in their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. You see, remember this as I close this. The next time a full day passes, God set it like that. God set it like that. God set the seasons. It's foundational in the work. God set it. The next time you see a farmer in a field on a tractor, you remember God has set that crop to grow like that. There must be a God. You go out at night and you see the stars or the moon. There has to be a God. Everywhere you go, doesn't matter if you're walking, you're driving, doesn't matter if it's tonight or tomorrow night or the next night, should God spare you and give you breath in your lungs? No matter when it is, how far it is, what country it's in, you look out at night, you see the stars, you'll know there's a God and I'm not right with him if you're not saved. And I'm still in my sin before him if you're not saved. And God, God of very God, Christ himself came and bore my sin for me and died in my place and shed his blood and I'm not right. God will judge you for it. 
Every time you get up in the morning and the sun's shining in the sky, God set that there. God put it there. Am I right with him? Am I saved? Every time, everywhere. Doesn't matter while you're here in Little Ulster, the wee spot in Europe. It doesn't matter if you're here or Australia or New Zealand or Canada or the far coast of the United States of America or South Africa. It doesn't matter where you are. You'll see it. In the beginning, God, the foundation the foundation of the earth, the foundation of the nations, the foundation of Israel, and the foundation of us. Are you saved? And that's why they want to pull the foundation of our nation being built up on the word of God. When Queen Victoria said to, uh, uh, pardon me, an, an Indian prince said to Queen Victoria, what is the secret of England's greatness in the height of the empire? She handed him a King James Bible. She says this, is the secret. And now they've pulled it out. They've thrown it away. And they make up their own commandments. And every one of them are an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you Christ's? We're here to help you. Listen, let me say this. Do you see if a politician abstains? Well, they already have. Do you see any politician who's abstained in this abortion issue or even the same-sex marriage issue and they say they're a Christian? They'll answer for that. Obstinance is like rebellion in the face of God. And they will answer for it. And as God removes Saul from Israel, so will these politicians be removed. Now I want to tell you something. It sounds doom and gloom when we think if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We're not going to flee to the hills, brothers and sisters. We're not going to run away and hide. We're going to take our stand and stand up, stand up for Jesus. And we're going to be here. And we're going to say, no, this is what we live by. The word of the Lord. Team, would you come up, please?